Chapter Six of Pioneer Work in the Alps of New Zealand by Arthur Paul Harper. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Gail Timmerman Vaughan. Chapter Six, Cook River, Balfour Glacier, Old Moraines, Beach Traveling and Digging, Gillespie's, Ryan's Range, Balfour Glacier, A Race with the Clouds, Topsy. At the end of February, instructions came for us to go without delay to Cook River and explore all its branches some years ago the track or road which skirts the outer hills southwards from ross was continued from mapurica across the waiho river some three miles below the glacier and thence over the oimarua and waikukupa rivers to cook river the distance by this road does not exceed twelve miles but it had been allowed to grow over and is now worse to tackle than bush in its natural state why the authorities should have allowed a track which cost a good sum of money to grow over is hard to say possibly because the powers that be in ocarito and gillespies had sufficient influence to prevent its being kept open for it diverted all the southern horse traffic from these two townships however the fact remained that instead of being able to ride in an hour or two from the franz joseph glacier to cook's river we had to go down the waiho to the sea beach and along it to gillespies township and strike inland some eight miles to a small farm on cook river flats thirty-five miles of bad going taking a day and a half having procured a horse on which to carry our property we left the hospital and our digger friends on the seventh march and followed the waiho river bed to the beach went to the mr gibbs store and farm at waikukupa where we slept beach travelling is a distinct feature at present on the west coast at low tide the sand is generally good but at high tide the traveller is forced up into soft sand or gravel and the going becomes tedious and painful the whole of the lower country is formed of low moraine hills and terraces reaching four hundred feet in height left there by the ancient glaciers these have been cut through here and there by the rivers and in many places they form high bluffs along the seashore at the bottom of which large erratic boulders loosened by the sea are lying in confusion at high tide the surf which is nearly always heavy, dashes over this mass of rocks and beats against the hard mass of moraine above them. Some of the bluffs are practically impassable except at low tide, and these have had narrow tracks cut over or round them. Others are in their natural state and are impassable at high water. Consequently, travelling along the beach has its excitement, for seas have to be dodged amongst the loose masses of rock strewn along the shore at the foot of a bluff. Frequently, after a storm, the sea throws up sand and gravel to such an extent that no rocks are visible and the bluff can be passed on a good beach but the next tide may destroy the good ground and leave the rocks naked again or possibly the bluff may be filled up for weeks two bluffs have to be passed before reaching gibbs's house both easy ones and the oemarua and waikukupa rivers have to be forded at their mouths the rivers often have large lagoons behind the sea-wall and these have an outlet into the sea the lagoon filling up at high tide and nearly running out before the next tide to cross the water rushing down over shifting sand is never pleasant and can only be done at lower half tide for the surf causes a strong undercurrent when it runs up the narrow channel against the stream fording when the river is in dangerous condition or without due experience has been the cause of many deaths hardly a river or creek on the coast exists which has not been answerable for one or more lives from the waikukupa we reached gillespie's by noon 
a township consisting of two public houses a store and a few huts it is indeed difficult to imagine a more dismal or depressing place than gillespie's beach or town as they call it in the district some six or seven huts and houses are scattered along the old sea-wall of sandhills in a row facing the sea these include two public houses a government school and one store the other store being part of one public house on approaching it no one is seen about the sandy track which connects the scattered houses but suddenly one of the many canine mongrels which are plentiful here becomes aware of a stranger's presence he gives tongue to his indignation and followed by other curs of low degree notifies to all whom it may concern the fact that someone is coming up to this moment nothing worthy of notice has occurred but no sooner has the signal been given than children of all ages and sexes spring up on every side and after a short stare to see if they know you or not bolt like rabbits to their houses leaving the place again deserted the stranger then feeling that he cannot so insult the publican as not to look in for a drink turns up from the beach to the sandhills and proceeds down the street towards the hotel as he passes each house out come the inhabitants and by the time he has reached the shelter of the bar-room the whole available population of some ten adults and thirty children are gazing at him a few diggers live here working for gold on the beach or just behind the old sea-wall and the rest of the population practically owe their means of livelihood to supplying these men and others in the district this beach-combing is sometimes profitable as a great deal of surfacing or black gold-bearing sand is now and then deposited after a storm and can be taken above high-water mark before the next tide washes it away again the gold obtained from this sand is very fine sometimes not much coarser than flour above high-water mark on the sand-hills forming the old sea-wall gold-bearing sand is worked in many localities but it is not on the whole profitable only fifteen shillings to thirty shillings a week being made the average however is increased when a rich patch of surfacing is thrown up by a storm and good gold obtained from it by those who are on the qui vive when journeying along the beach huts belonging to men working the black sand are passed at long intervals in lonely seclusion on some flat amongst the tall flax or scrub above the high water mark behind these is generally a piece of swampy ground to the foot of the morainic hills which are covered with tall bush beyond again within twenty miles the great snowy ranges can be seen towering up to ten thousand or twelve thousand feet with dark gloomy valleys and rocky spurs descending very rapidly to the lower country it is a wonderfully fine effect to see this magnificent panorama of mountains so close closed with bush at their base and rising range upon range to their ice-clad summits while standing on the sea beach with the heavy rollers just at one's back crashing on to the shingle and roaring as they retire and draw the stones after them from the beach near the waikukupa to the summit of mount cook is about twenty miles as the crow flies and is eight or nine miles to the foot of the outer flanks of the ranges five hundred feet above sea level therefore the southern alps and their many buttresses rise at this point twelve thousand feet in eight miles and can be seen for their whole height a track has been formed from gillespie's township up the cook river flats where mr ryan has a small farm about eight miles distant at the foot of the hills to this we made our way in the afternoon after two hours delay at the store ordering provisions and necessaries all the way down the coast our ice axes had created great curiosity 
and douglas who is of course known to every man woman and child south of the wanganui river overheard some remarks concerning these dangerous-looking implements four or five men were standing round the swags speculating as to the use of the isexes the first suggested that they were grubbers which had been sent down for ryan another believed they were picks for prosecuting gold in the ranges and so on ad lib at last a brilliant idea struck someone and he said why they're fixings charlie has invented for spearing eels this appeared to solve the difficulty as they adjourned for a drink cook river has as i have already explained three branches the fox the balfour and the main branch the first name comes from the fox glacier which drains the dividing range from conway's peak to mount tasman and is bounded on the east by the bismarck range and its branches on the west by craig's range a high offshoot from mount tasman running northwest the balfour river flows from the glacier of that name lying between the latter range and the balfour range which branches off the divide from near the silberhorn of tasman and runs due west for nine or ten miles the main branch takes its rise from la perouse a fine glacier which drains the divide from the silberhorn of tasman to mount stokes and flows west between the balfour and copeland ranges the latter range is an offshoot of mount stokes and runs a little north of west past mount copeland seven thousand eight hundred and ninety five feet and little's peak seven thousand three hundred and eighty six feet to ryan's peak at this point it branches in two directions the northerly spur coming down close to the lower extremity of craig's range having curled round past the lower end of the balfour range the main branch of the river is joined by the balfour stream about three miles before it leaves the hills and after flowing for three or four miles on the flat country is joined by the fox river the hut to which we went on ryan's farm after leaving gillespie's is situated a mile or so above the inflow of the latter river at the point where it leaves the hills the main stream is spanned by a wire rope and cage placed there for the benefit of three or four men who are digging a mile further up on the south bank gold has been obtained in the main branch and balfour river but is now nearly all worked out only two claims existing at the present our plan of campaign was firstly to make an ascent on the lower end of the copeland range towards ryan's peak in order to get some general observations and photographs into the upper portions of the two branches and the surrounding peaks and then make our way to the balfour glacier taking the fox glacier and the main branch afterwards on march twelfth we took our camp to near the diggers huts and began to cut the track up a spur behind them it took two days before we had cleared a track and pitched our camp at three thousand feet and owing to wet and foggy weather it was the seventeenth before we were able to do our work on the top of the range even then we should have been unsuccessful had we not made a point of reaching our station by seven a m so as to finish the bearing before the fog came however luck was on our side and we were able to fix the station and return with the camp to the diggers huts by the evening of the seventeenth from the shoulder of ryan's peak we got a good idea of the topographical features of the watershed of cook river and could see the dividing range from mount ellie de beaumont to the footstool this is a good example of west coast work as compared with that of the eastern slopes of the southern alps it will be seen that to fix a station at five thousand feet took us six days necessitating a camp at three thousand feet whereas on the eastern side of the main range with its open grassy slopes and more certain climate the whole thing could have been done in one day from our lower camp on march eighteenth we moved off again 
crossing by the cage to the opposite side of the river and pitching camp in a perfect deluge of rain about half a mile above the diggers huts everything we had was wet so the following morning was spent drying a few things before a large fire and at noon we continued up the river to the inflow of the balfour stream at which point another craig's creek also joins the river flowing from a small ice field on craig's peak douglas had explored this branch some years previously and found the gorge impassable the route therefore lay up the creek for a mile or more and thence over the spur which comes from craig's peak to the gorge a climb of about four thousand feet accordingly we turned up the creek which comes down very rapidly over large stones and between rocky sides a stiff piece of going for us with our usual handicap of fifty pounds towards evening we reached a large erratic boulder about forty feet high and two hundred and fifty feet in circumference under which we could find very fair shelter for the night so we kindled a fire and turned in even this little valley had signs of ancient ice the sides were two thousand feet high and showed terraces of smooth ice-worn rocks it is possible that a glacier originally came from craig's peak down here and joined the main ice streams but the valley is so short that it is difficult to account for a body of ice large enough to leave such distinct marks and so many erratics half a mile above the bivouac a tributary stream comes off the spur over which we were going we therefore next morning followed it up for half an hour and then pitched the batwing in the last patch of mountain scrub douglas on his previous visit had found some good crystals on this spur so we spent the day crystal hunting and found some nice specimens i took my camera to the ridge some seventeen hundred feet above camp but failed to secure views owing to the inevitable fog on the twenty first i made an early start with my load in order to obtain some photographs before the fog obscured the higher ranges leaving douglas to follow at his leisure the view from the ridge will ever live in my memory as one of the most striking i know from a long range because not only was it of surpassing grandeur but of more than ordinary interest in the first place no one could suppose from a distance that there was room for more than a small valley here but on closer inspection there proved to be not only a broad valley and glacier but a comparatively large tributary valley the reason of this is that the ranges are of exceptional steepness and very narrow allowing room for broad valleys between the point on which we were standing was upwards of five thousand feet above sea level and overlooking a quadrangular basin seven miles in length and increasing in breadth from one mile at the upper to two miles at the lower end the floor of which lay two thousand five hundred feet below a spur from the balfour range and that on which we were standing forms the western wall of this basin a deep gorge having been cut through it by the river craig's range and the balfour ranges form the northern and southern sides respectively while the eastern end is blocked by the stupendous buttresses of mount tasman on the north and south of the valley the sides rise in rocky precipices to the height of more than two thousand feet and at the western end mount tasman rises fully seven thousand feet its black and frowning cliffs only relieved by one small ice field which lies halfway up its sides the small glacier is apparently of second-rate importance but so far as was then known it formed the neve of the balfour that a large glacier six miles long should draw its supplies from so small a neve was more than doubtful and i was of opinion that the snowfield which we could see between the balfour range and mount dampier 
would prove to be the real neve coming through some unsuspected gap in that range this point we could not determine from here and hoped to finally settle it by going up the glacier there is only one small flow of ice joining the neve and trunk of this glacier most of the ice drops over a cliff over one thousand feet in height bringing with it a great deal of debris which covers the glacier with heavy moraine for its whole length over the balfour range mounts dampier hicks and stokes could be seen with harper's saddle at the head of the hooker glacier and behind again dominating all was the upper part of mount cook these great peaks rose in apparently a wall within seven miles of us seven thousand or eight thousand feet of their height being visible the original name given to mount stokes was la parousse and it seems a pity to have changed it how appropriate the latter name is cannot be realized better than from craig's spur because from this point there is a group of peaks standing alone and from their position dwarfing all others this group could hardly be surpassed and being all closely connected should have similar names at present the name stokes spoils the uniformity and if la perouse were again adopted we should be able to call the group of five navigators namely tasman eleven thousand four hundred and seventy five feet dampier eleven thousand three hundred and twenty three feet cook twelve thousand three hundred and forty nine feet hicks ten thousand four hundred and ten feet and la perouse ten thousand one hundred and one feet fortunately i had an hour or two on the top to obtain photographs before nine thirty when the fog closed in upon us douglas having arrived in due course we began our descent over steep treacherous grass slopes and bare rocks and in two hours arrived at the terminal moraine of the glacier and pitched our fly having left the bat-wing behind to lighten our loads when travelling with a fly only we arrange it as follows placing a pole horizontally about five feet from the ground between two uprights we hang the canvas over and peg it to the ground behind giving it a slope of forty-five degrees the front is then stretched out and the corners made fast at three feet and the centre at four feet from the ground the two ends of this lean-to are blocked with screens of scrub and fern making walls of about three feet in width under the back part we place our bedding which consists of twigs branches and grass and kindle our fire in the shelter of the front portion the bed is about the same size as in our bat wing namely six feet by four feet and on turning in we lie heads and tails in our blanket bags this shelter is practically the same as our bat wings only with walls of fern at the ends instead of canvas but it has the disadvantage of only a single instead of a double canvas roof to remedy this in heavy rain we make a large screen of ferns or grass and fix it about six inches above the back portion letting it act as the fly does in the bat-wing camp however good the quality of canvas a certain amount of moisture always comes through in heavy rain either in drops where the roof has been touched or in fine spray hence the necessity of an extra roof over the portion in which we sit or sleep a single piece of oiled canvas would be waterproof in any weather but has not sufficient lasting qualities for it dries and cracks in a few weeks and being nearly twice as heavy as ordinary canvas it is just as convenient to take two pieces of the latter if one takes any our camp was situated on the bank of mckenna's creek which drains some ice fields on craig's peak and the range to the east the valley in which the creek flows is broad and flat for two and a half miles and is separated from the balfour glacier by an ice-worn narrow ridge which we named hen and chickens 
descending from fifteen hundred feet at the upper end of the valley to five hundred feet at the lower end. This ridge has been abraded by ice on both sides, and on the top for a greater part of its length. A few chains below our camp the creek joins the Balfour River, at a point about a quarter of a mile below the glacier. After leaving the ice the river flows on a fairly level course, through a series of terminal moraines, some of no great antiquity. There are five terraces of old lateral moraines along the lower part of the glacier, and three of these have their corresponding semicircular terminal moraines from which the position of the glacier at different periods of its existence can be determined. The highest terrace of these five was formed by the ice when the glacier reached the present gorge, or possibly when it pushed its way still further through the narrow outlet. Almost immediately below the inflow of McKenna's Creek, the valley begins a rapid descent, and the river becomes a rushing torrent over, under, and through large erratic boulders, until half a mile below it leaps into a gloomy gorge walled by sheer rocky precipices of fully one thousand feet. Though I could see generally that the gorge narrowed and descended very rapidly, and also the enormous precipices overhead, it was impossible, owing to scrub and boulders, to obtain a photograph of more than a general idea of the gorge. It is a most helpless feeling to get mixed up with the large boulders met with in such places. One feels like Gulliver in his journeys amongst the giants, and can often neither get under or over one of these smooth-sided obstacles. The Balfour joins Cook River about three miles from the glacier, and must have a descent of 1,500 feet in a little under two miles while passing through the gorge. On March 22nd, we traversed the glacier from the terminal face to the foot of the precipices off Tasman, Douglas taking the southern and I the northern side. Rain, however, set in at noon, and by 3 p.m., when we reached the foot of Tasman, the clouds were so low that we could see nothing. It was therefore impossible to clear up the doubt about the neve of the glacier, but we still inclined to the opinion that the snowfield from Mount Hicks found an outlet into the Balfour, otherwise it was difficult to account for so large a trunk. The ice was completely covered with surface moraine, nearly every stone of which sparkled with minute crystals, and some of the larger stones bristled with crystals an inch long. My diary entry for March 23rd begins as follows, quote, Two and one-half miles of creek bed, 700 feet climb at the end, 55 minutes exciting race with fog, thought I'd done it, sold, end quote. Such races with the fog, to obtain bearings or photographs from a high point, were constantly taking place, and I think the fog has won as often as I have. On this particular occasion, I wanted to get a clear view from a point at the head of McKenna's Creek, which should finally settle the doubt with regard to the Balfour Neve. My route lay through some rather bad scrub for two hundred yards, and then along an open creek bed for two and one quarter miles to the foot of a saddle, which lay nearly seven hundred feet above the creek. I took Betsy the dog, who, by the way, rejoined us after leaving the Waiho, and travelled at a jog-trot to the foot of the grassy slope of the saddle, because I had seen a small insignificant piece of fog form and disappear again on Ryan's Peak below the gorge. By the time the foot of the saddle had been reached, a dense bank of fog was crawling through the Balfour Gorge, and had apparently met an opposing current of air from McKenna's Creek, as it remained stationary to all appearances at the lower end of the valley. The saddle I was making for lay on the above-mentioned ice-worn rocky ridge, between the creek and the glacier, and as it would be only three or four miles from Tasman's great cliffs, 
it ought to command a grand view of the western face of that peak i had just begun the ascent when a wisp of fog came over the top of the ridge through another saddle and i realized that though it had stopped at the end of mckenna valley it was passing up the balfour glacier on the far side of the hen and chickens never did i travel uphill so fast before betsy now barking and biting my heels now running ahead was madly excited while i scrambled frantically up to get at least one photograph the fog now crept along the mckenna valley and was close up to me when i reached the bridge thoroughly done having travelled just over two miles along the creek and climbed seven hundred feet in fifty-five minutes with twenty pounds of camera instruments etc on my back it was all to no purpose however for though i had raced the fog behind in the mckenna valley it had crawled up along the balfour ridge and only allowed me a momentary glimpse of tasman's giant buttresses obscuring everything above the six thousand foot level before i could get my camera out of its case did you swear i am generally asked when relating this experience no i did not say anything at all i merely upset a large rock lying near me over the eight hundred foot precipice under the balfour glacier to relieve my mind and then lay down to recover my wind it happens so often this mad rush uphill to forestall the fog that one gets used to disappointments the only way to secure good photographs is to reach the point by six or seven o'clock in the morning and sit down quietly until the light improves directly the first bit of fog forms anywhere in sight a set of plates ought to be exposed whether the light is good or bad never wait till the last minute but secure one set at least and if the fog does give a farther chance of exposing in better light then take another set i have seen the whole landscape blotted out within three minutes of the first sign of fog and as i was waiting till the last minute to let the light improve i was on that occasion badly sold and never again did i omit to make one complete set of exposures on arrival the rocks above me on craig's range were broken into very fantastic shapes and numerous detached blocks lay on the hens and chickens which i believe to have been left by the ancient glacier betsy and i spent two hours on the ridge trying to catch some keas and also dropping stones over the great precipice onto the glacier below a most fascinating occupation is this of rolling stones from a great height douglas and i have spent hours when waiting for a fog to lift in various places rolling down large rocks and working as hard as if our lives depended on it to dislodge one of exceptional dimensions we often used to try and suggest some reason which would account for the fascination for i suppose it may be said to be universal i have never met a man even amongst those who spend their whole lives on these hills who did not only thoroughly enjoy seeing a stone career madly down a slope but who would not go to considerable trouble to start one rolling on returning along mckenna's creek we got two ducks but the dog took them both to the far side of the creek and left them there compelling me to wade across for them a cold task as the stream was ice-fed and took me up to the waist douglas some years before i joined him used to work alone and had a wonderfully clever and awful useful dog named topsy which used to keep him well supplied with birds she would go away to hunt as soon as he began to pitch camp and return with three birds two for her master and one for herself it would be a very poor locality for birds if she couldn't find any a better forager never existed in another way too she proved useful douglas says that when going up a river he might find a rocky bluff rising out of the water which seemed likely to necessitate a high climb 
in order to avoid the risk of going forward some distance and being compelled to return owing to an impassable corner he would send topsy ahead and sit down for a smoke till she came back on her return he could always tell from her manner whether the route was practicable round the bluff so well did she know what he could do that on one occasion she gave him to understand that there was no possibility of going round but as he was anxious to avoid the high climb through the bush over the bluff he picked up his load and started off to find his way round topsy who was lying down merely looked up and seeing him going where she had been stayed where she was and made no attempt to follow knowing her master would have to return to that spot to begin his climb over when douglas came back having failed he said topsy got up stretched herself and followed him up the hillside with a superior smile on her face the weather became very threatening on the twenty fourth so we decided to get out of this valley before a storm came on and stopped us as provisions were coming to an end and we had done all that was necessary the very steep grass slopes and smooth rock faces up which we had to go to reach the spur again were treacherous and would have been very dangerous but for our ice axes it was annoying to have to take such a high and roundabout route to and from this glacier when had the gorge been passable it would have only taken an hour or two to reach the junction with cook river instead of a long day on easter sunday the storm came on so we pushed along from our bivouac where we slept on the previous evening and reached ryan's hut before dark a week's bad weather followed putting all the streams into high flood therefore we had good reason to congratulate ourselves on having got out of the balfour valley in time for another day's delay and we should have been cornered like rats in a trap without the cheese one evening some of the diggers working up cook river above the cage who had been down to town gillespies called in at the hut on their way back and stayed for the night conversation turned to ice work and after explaining the use of our axes i began to give them a rough idea of the effects of glaciers in the course of the conversation i spoke of the tasman glacier and one of those present said is the tasman as large as the fox river oh yes much larger i said is it on a big river too said another to which i replied yes the waitaki what a rum thing said the last speaker it is that nearly all the glaciers are on rivers it is curious i said humbly feeling ashamed that my discourse had not conveyed a better idea of the causes and effects of glaciers End of chapter six